And so what we can do now with blockchain is blockchain essentially puts that economic layer underneath the internet. It's what we call the internet of value. We can now do all the things that we've come accustomed to wanting to do on the internet in a way that kind of seems like the way it should have been all along. Hey, what's going on? Hope you are well and having a good week as always. Uh, so on this episode of the Welcome to the Metaverse podcast, it is a big one. Our guest is someone who I've wanted to have on the show for a long time and is undoubtedly one of the smartest minds in this whole space. Uh, this week we are chatting to Robbie Young, the CEO of Animoca Brands. Now for anyone who doesn't know, Animoca Brands are a major leader in this space with a very impressive portfolio across digital entertainment, blockchain and gaming. They develop and publish a slate of original games including the sandbox uh, rev racing and the upcoming phantom galaxies alongside products with major ips including formula one disney and wwe to name just a few they were also very early investors in the likes of axie infinity OpenSea, dapper labs star atlas and more and continue to invest in nft related companies and decentralized products that are contributing to building the open metaverse uh, this is a monster episode full of value uh, both on where this whole space is heading and what Animoca are focused on at the minute themselves as well. Uh, I knew Robbie was going to be awesome and it was great to have him on the show. So thank you, Robbie, for coming on. This podcast is sponsored by the brilliant Republic Realm, who are a leader in metaverse innovation, investment and NFTs. Uh, they are among the largest owners of digital real estate, NFTs in Decentraland, The Sandbox, Axie Infinity and many more. Uh, they also recently dropped their collection of GFTs in partnership with Atari, one of the world's most iconic brands. Uh, it's a collection designed for gifting or of course you could keep your GFT for yourself. Uh, you can find out more about the project and what else they're up to at republicrealm.com and follow on Twitter at joinrepublic underscore RE where you'll find a link to their Discord too. I'll pop all these links in the show notes so you can easily click through. And finally, as always, nothing in this podcast is financial or investment advice. Always do your own research. And with that said, let's dive into this week's episode. Robbie, really great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for doing this. Good to be here. Thank you. Good stuff. Yeah, um, I'm really excited for this episode because I've been following Animoca Brands for a long time and you guys have been really fundamental in this whole sort of major shift towards this new digital world, one that's owned by us, the users, and one where gaming is going to have a huge role as well. So yeah, that's sort of the, the goal for this episode is to help people kind of understand the scale of what is happening here and why it's kind of valuable for them as well, whether you're mm -hmm. into the sort of NFT and blockchain world or whether you're just a regular internet user, there's like a big movement going on. So um, yeah, maybe we start, obviously anyone in this space will, will know all about Animoca Brands, but uh, for, for newcomers, maybe you could just sort of outline what the company do and, and your mission as well. Sure. Um, boy, the mission with a capital M. <laughs> big first question. Yeah. yeah. So um, we are uh, fundamentally a game company, um, and, but I think these days, you know, we're kind of rebranding ourselves as a as a metaverse company now that now that games have become metaverses, I suppose. Um, but I think you know the key fundamental thing is that um, we're working here at the intersection of blockchain and games and trying to see uh, what we can do to bring property rights to gamers because we think that you know the advent of blockchain as a technology will enable us and has enabled us um, to really dramatically change the relationship between content and consumers of content so now now players you know for for years have been uh, playing in free-to-play economies in games where they spend money inside games and they 
they buy things to enhance their experience, you know, they modify their characters, they buy additional upgrades, but those have always been closed economies, so that essentially they're renting those items from the game developer because those items always reside inside the game and can only be used with the permission of the game developer. And now with blockchain, we're actually able to change that so that we can offer, thanks to NFTs, um, you know, we can offer that game content as truly ownable content that the players can purchase and then do what they like with. They can play with it in the game, they can trade it with their friends, they can take it outside the game and bring it somewhere else. So I think once we establish this idea of property rights, I think there's no looking back. I mean, I think this will revolutionize everything. Yeah, for sure. And gaming's really core to this whole movement. And we'll talk about gaming specifically a little bit deeper as well, but also just as a kind of broader, bigger picture for the internet, NFTs and property rights also expand you know, to, to all sort of areas of the internet. So yes. one thing that people ask me a lot and um, would be really interesting to get your thoughts on this is most people's kind of experience of the internet today on the surface is, is quite good, right? It, we, it connects us all. It gives us a platform to kind of, uh, you know, distribute content if we want to make content or start an e-commerce brand and kind of sell our products. But why, for example, might you not be actually getting a great deal? You know, if you're uploading videos to YouTube, for example, it feels like you're getting a good deal because it's because it's free. But why actually are we kind of missing out on on value on the internet? Sure. <clears throat> so I think the internet was originally designed um, for the dissemination of information in a distributed or decentralized, as we call it these days, fashion. So the idea was, you know, it was, it was designed for the military originally, like of many things. And it was designed for us to spread information in such a way that it was, you know, unable to be shut down so that there was no single point of failure. That decentralization was all about being able to spread it far and wide, but not necessarily to secure it meaning that it never fundamentally came with digital rights management capability, which is why, you know, we tried for decades to find different standards to do things like music files and video files. You know, we tried to sell MP3s and none of them ever worked really for the content owners because everything was infinitely copyable. And this was like the fundamental flaw. And so what happened with Web2 is we ended up coalescing around a variety of different streaming platforms like YouTube or Spotify or Netflix, etc. And these centralized platforms um, served the very positive purpose of, you know, being really user-friendly because it's a one-stop shop for everything. And also they really helped for people who produce content to have a way to effectively protect their rights. So you can put all your music on Spotify and you know that nobody's going to steal it because they're just listening to it one stream at a time. However, there's a fatal flaw to the model and the fatal flaw is that you have to give all the control to a single actor in order for it to be most effective. You know, people want to subscribe to a streaming service where all the music is. They don't want to subscribe to 20 different services depending on which things they want to listen to. And the unfortunate byproduct of consolidation is you end up with monopolies. Um, and so you end up in a situation where now it's not uncommon to hear artists complaining about how little money they make from streaming platforms. And, you know, and the benefit accrues to the user, of course, because, you know, YouTube is an incredible place as a viewer to go and see things. But from a creator standpoint, the success stories of, of kids doing unboxing videos and making millions of dollars are the very rare exceptions on a very, very large platform. And so what we can do now with blockchain is blockchain essentially puts that economic layer underneath the internet. Um, and so it helps us, um, you know, it's it's what we call the internet of value. So it, it allows us to transact in a way where we're not just transacting in, I'm sending you a file, but I can send you 
ownership of a file and I can validate that the file has been sent securely from me to you. And because of that, you know, and this was created for the, for the purpose of Bitcoin originally, right, to send you a Bitcoin. But because of that, it means that we can now do all the things that we've come accustomed to wanting to do on the internet in a way that kind of seems like the way it should have been all along. So I can now you know, decide I want to send you a photograph and you can pay me for it and we can exchange it and that photograph can be an NFT, we can make a transaction. And I don't have to even trust you, right? It's a trustless transaction. I can assume you're trying to screw me, but as long as we've agreed on the terms, the technology will allow us to do our transactions securely. Um, and that's something that, frankly, we can't even do with e-commerce today. And we rely on credit companies, credit card companies as the backup plan in case somebody screws us online, to be honest. And so this is really exciting. And it's a, it's a very fundamental principle of how everything works. So we're seeing this now with entertainment content, which is where we believe, you know, mass consumer interest and adoption will be of this new technology, but it will also have big impart in the much more boring and banal aspects of our lives. So things like property title deed transactions when you buy a home should be on the blockchain. It's a very, you know, or share certificates when you own shares in a company, all of these things where it requires you to own a digital document or asset, um, you know, the, this, this idea of e-government, should all be done on blockchain now. Um, and, and that's why I think e-government largely hasn't taken off with the exception of maybe Estonia. You know, it hasn't taken off in most countries in the last 20 years because there hasn't been a great way to do it. But now there is. Yeah, yeah, that's so brilliantly put because I think that's the that's the switch where people coming new to this space might not have that um, kind of you know understanding underneath all of this, and that's what's the what's the real fundamental change. And I think we were all kind of used to um, you know spending an, an increasing amount of time in this in, in this digital world online with us on on our devices on our phones you know hours uh, hours a day scrolling through Instagram or whatever. But we're also very used to not owning anything. Is we've arrived with that first, so that seems like the norm. But actually, as you say, it shouldn't it shouldn't be the norm. It's kind of a a flaw of of maybe the initial kind of version of the internet um and i think people will, will understand how nfts um secure verified ownership of digital things whether that is you know, art that we've seen obviously in nfts and, and various other ownership of digital items it might be things in games skins etc how do you also explain the kind of other level of how blockchain nfts allow a normal person to own kind of part of the network as well in a way that using facebook doesn't we we don't own any of of facebook but as the users we are responsible for facebook you know having loads of value because without us it wouldn't so there's also that kind of element as well right sure so i think the thing about social media platforms um, and centralized platforms is they're fundamentally extractive because we as users you know we're participating by putting in all the information. And even if we're not creators, they're still the platforms are still harvesting our data and monitoring our activity for the purpose of serving us advertising. And the trade-off is supposed to be, look, you get all this great content, but in exchange, you have to watch advertising. But at the same time, all of our activity is being monitored and monetized as well. And we don't fundamentally own the work that we do on those platforms. I know you might not think of it as work, scrolling through TikTok videos or something like that, but it is work. It's your time and it's your input there. And the question is whether of that time and input that you're making and all the value that gets created, the information that's harvested on a massive scale ends up creating 
an incredible, um, the network effects of that information are not being harvested by the individuals because the individuals only have ac only have themselves. So the platform essentially reaps the benefit of all of those network effects. When you have an open platform system like blockchain, what we've observed is that individual blockchain applications, because they're based on open standards, they interoperate with each other. So I can create a game and I can hook up with you know a decentralized finance, a DeFi application, and offer my game players DeFi capabilities. I can offer them blockchain wallets, all kinds of other tools and apps that can hook into mine because we all use the same kind of protocols. When I do that, I'm essentially creating network effects between all of those different applications. But the people who benefit from the network effects are the participants in the network, and we all own stakes in that by owning tokens because the tokens are the fundamental building blocks of those networks. And so we create value in the network through our own donation of our own information and our own activity, but we also benefit from it as owners of the network. So, you know, some people always, some people who are new to blockchain gaming, they balk at the idea of having like in our, you know, in our Formula One Delta Time racing game, they balk at the idea of having to pay an entry fee when you drive, you know, when you enter a race. But paying the entry fee is no different than anything else you do in the physical world. You want to go and drive around the track, you need to pay an entry fee. And then part of the benefit is not just the fun, but you can win prizes in the race. Well, our game is exactly the same. But the cost of entry is what gives you a stake in what's going on. And I think what people find is that um, it's well worth the investment because that ownership gives Gives them, I want to say, skin in the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. You're participating in this in this bigger network, and you're getting value from that. And yeah, and to dive into Animoca more deeply, and a really good example probably of that is is Rev Racing, right? One of the games that you develop. How primarily it's a really awesome, fun racing game, but also it can plug into this wider financial system. So for anyone who's who's new, you know, DeFi is decentralized finance. So we're used to obviously holding our money with a with a bank, and in some scenarios that that's fine, but in the past, obviously that that also has hasn't been fine, especially in different areas in, in the world. But DeFi uh, lets us use the technology so that we can have a trustless kind of relationship with, with money as well. But that all connects with gaming because there's been examples right in Rev Racing where you own your car and then you can, because of your time spent and how good you are at the game, that can become valuable. And then you can even stake your car to earn yields as well. Yes. That's a, yeah. So that kind of plugs into this whole system, right? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and I think it's exciting because it's, as I said, it's because we make these applications on open systems and it's essentially an open source movement. So the exciting part is that we also don't have to make all the services that our customers can enjoy. Other people can make add-on services. And so, you know, the way we like to think of it in a sort of an old-fashioned analogy is if you think about the invention of the automobile, the automobile gave rise to all types of other inventions and creations that occurred only because of the existence of the automobile. You know, um, once you had an automobile, then people realized they could be in the business of selling tires or a service station or building roads or manufacturing baby car safety seats, you know, and all of these other industries were not created by the Ford Motor Company or Mercedes-Benz. They were created by other entrepreneurs who saw an opportunity to build on top of an existing application, let's call it, which is the car. And that's actually what we're doing in blockchain, where we can create an original game like Rev Racing. But then another DeFi protocol, for example, can say, okay, well, you know, if you take your Rev Racing car and bring it to us, we'll let you put it up as collateral for a DeFi loan. And they can build that service on top of our assets because our assets are open and composable. 
They're permissionless assets. And that's really important because today, what we have in sort of the web 2.0 world is we have a huge thriving ecosystem of games and people playing games, but they're all individual islands or silos. So Fortnite is an incredible game players having fun all day long. And it would be great for a developer to be able to develop something cool to work with Fortnite. But you can't do it without the permission of Epic, the developer. You know, you have to partner with them and do it on their terms. And you can't just try to innovate and create something, which means that it has the potential to kind of stifle innovation. Because often some of the greatest ideas we see are things that at first may look crazy, <laughs> but then but then they catch on. And that's, that's kind of the, the beauty of inspiration. And I think I think where we see such incredible innovation in the blockchain space is precisely because we all have these permissionless assets and people can build on top of them. But it's, it's not such a crazy idea. It's just that the first time we've been able to do it in digital space as opposed to the physical world. Mm. Yeah, it's really interesting. And like it's a slightly strange analogy, but my background's in, in radio and the ideas you used to get for the show were always loads. The best ideas came from the audience because you've got this whole resource of loads of people who are really good at stuff, but, you know, maybe have their own. Uh, jobs and and you know the best ideas were from the collective group of people who could then send them to you and then you, you could use them so it's that kind yes. of model isn't it of using everyone yeah, absolutely which is cool absolutely um, could we very briefly as well just on that point i think uh one thing that people might not realize is that on the surface you know gaming well it's obviously a gigantic industry but it's you know primarily fun but also with blockchain and play to earn games in different areas of the world it's also because it all connects to this open system it's also bringing people into the financial world who might not have had access to a bank account by playing a game because they can spend mm -hmm. time with their assets they can become valuable and then they can plug yes. into this bigger system so that's like a really cool powerful thing that games are mm -hmm. doing right yes well i think the i think the thing is that blockchain fundamentally you know was originally conceived as a as a um, for financial services you know for bitcoin and the idea behind it that's so powerful is the idea that you can make a financial transaction peer-to-peer -peer, so from one person to the other without either person needing anything more than a web browser essentially and when you do that, you realize that it allows you to access a much, much broader audience than any other platform before. Because, you know, like in our game industry, the game industry has been big for a long time. But the game industry has never been as big as it has been since 2008 when mobile smartphones came along because smartphones broadened internet adoption and accessibility to literally the other half of the world. You know, half the world was not online until smartphones came along and gave them that capability to do so at a low cost. And so now that we have blockchain, we can essentially provide financial services to all of those people with smartphones. And when you think about the implications of that, you know, you, you start to to realize that you know very little of the world actually holds credit cards even though the percentages are high in some countries and very little of the world has access to the financial system you know so much is still done through cash and through their smartphones now people can conduct blockchain transactions and be able to be paid for things and so now we've seen this extend to games because obviously you know in our games the most simple example you know, as I said, if you if you're fast around the track in in rev racing or in F1 Delta time, you win prizes. And so, how do you receive your prizes? They're given out in the form of tokens into your wallet. So all you need is a web browser to be able to receive those prizes, and then you can swap it to you know whatever your local currency is and and buy stuff with it. It's 
it's money. And and that's quite amazing because it completely changes the dynamic of what it means to be able to earn something in a game. Like when we think of what esports has been for so long, esports has been about earning a living playing games, but you're actually not earning a living from the games themselves. You're earning a living from advertising sponsorship for playing games, which is actually a different thing. And it requires you to have sponsors and an agent and access to a financial business infrastructure around the media viewership of gaming. Whereas what we do is fundamentally different because all you need is your web browser. You come play the game. If you're around the track fastest, boom, that's it. You win your prize and you collect it, which means you don't need anything except that browser. You can be a kid sitting in his bedroom in Jakarta by himself, right? And then you are earning money in the game and and from your prize winnings. And and that's very, very different. It means that we have broadened accessibility literally to everybody on earth with access to the internet. And that's very exciting because if you think about how small gaming is through other types of platforms, this really is the democratization. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a powerful thing, isn't it? That's just, that's so cool. And I think uh, it's, it's, it's one thing that we don't hear about so much. Um, One question I wanted to ask you, because I get asked this a lot from gamers if you don't mind me asking is and, and i guess less so on the point you just made but for people who are used to playing games now and we talk about um owning your assets in games is a really fundamental great thing but so, some people say when games have economies and and money's involved that it changes the nature of of the game and people are playing for different reasons and i always struggle to answer that because i think the fundamentals is so clear but is that something that pe- people ask you does it change the gameplays like their argument is that oh they want to play for fun and so if, the, if there's economy that changes things but i don't know if that's a misunderstanding or how would how do you what would you say i think people people get different things out of games and and everybody plays for different reasons i think that that is a kind of a sub- simplistic perspective because it's a little bit like um i like to play poker but i don't particularly like to gamble <laughs> i'm happy to play poker as a card game but there are plenty of people who feel like poker is not really poker unless you're betting something And it's just that different people get different things out of the game the way that they like to play. I think one of the things that we we can think about is the free-to-play model in gaming for the last decade or two has largely been based on the idea that most of the players in the game play for free, and a very small proportion of the players are paying users, spending a huge amount of money, essentially subsidizing the play for everybody else. And so when you think about how game makers make money from that small pool of of whale customers, it would be easy to think, well, why don't we just focus on the whales then? And what do we need to give the game play for free to all those other people for? But in fact, if you you narrowed the game down just to the paying players, it wouldn't be so fun anymore. Part of the fun of the game is that they get to play with all those other players. They have other people to play against. They have other people to compete against on the leaderboards. And so it's part of the ecosystem of the game. But what you're actually doing in that scenario is you're extracting the network effects of all those non-playing players, right? Uh, Non-paying players, excuse me. And so you're essentially exploiting those players for the benefit of the paying players. And we think that, you know, blockchain gaming sort of turns this on its head and makes it much more fair because you're essentially giving everybody autonomy over their own rights within the game and you're making money from all the activity in the game, from people who spend a lot and people who don't spend very much at all. Because essentially, our goal in building a game ecosystem is not about maximizing the amount of revenue we take from players. And that's a seismic shift from the proprietor of the game, from ourselves. Because our goal is to build the GDP 
of the game economy from which we take a small percentage as a fee for providing the game economy and the platform. And I think that's really interesting because if we look at, you know, the headline banner game of, of 2021, which is Axie Infinity, we can see that they have been incredibly successful at this model of building in-game GDP. And if we compare it to um, a big sort of classic of, of casual gaming, you know, Candy Crush, which most people on Earth have probably played. In August last year, <clears throat> famously, Axie Infinity passed $1 billion US dollars worth of market value of trading value in the game during the course of that month. And that resulted in about, I think I read some analysis of $70 or $80 million or something revenue to the developer as a result of all that in-game activity. But the interesting thing is to compare it to Candy Crush, because for King Digital, who's the publisher of Candy Crush, they made about the same revenue that month from Candy Crush, um, so about 70 or $80 million. But they did so on the basis of 270 million players playing Candy Crush that month, whereas Axie Infinity made the same amount of money for the developer based on 2 million players. And so, But the economy of Axie Infinity is much, much larger, whereas Candy Crush is 270 million players but you know only two percent of those players actually spending any money i see yeah and not getting any value back or owning anything in that game yeah so it's uh yeah it's a really awesome thing that's happening and maybe just quickly before we dive um, into some of what animoco are really focused on at the minute um that is a great example with axing is there any other kind of stats and stuff just to paint a picture of the scale of this stuff because it's not a theoretical thing like this is this is happening right and it's and it's huge and this movement is really beginning to explode so for anyone who might be kind of not quite aware of that is uh, yeah, what kind of things have, have you seen over the last 12 months particularly that kind of paint that picture sure well i think first one of the things um there there are two kind of contradictory things one is that um there's a huge amount of value being spent uh, or being generated inside these game economies and after axie infinity caught a lot of headlines for for a billion dollars worth of market trading value during august in fact it was less reported that uh in september they actually did 2.5 billion um so they they more than doubled uh, a month later so i think you know and and the most important thing to keep in mind is that um that's clearly the most successful blockchain game we've had in the industry so far but it's still very early there are so many people who like to hate on axie infinity from the traditional game community because they're like oh you know the graphics could be better or it could be more fun or you know people love to throw eggs at successful products um, and I think that we have to remember that what they've done there is they've pioneered an industry and they've created an incredible product on the back of an industry that largely was non-existent at the time they started building it you know they are one of the pillars of the blockchain game industry and they've been making it up as they go along because they've had to continually innovate new technology to be able to solve problems and create services for users as they've scaled because nobody else has ever done this before they're literally pioneering. And so I think, you know, you got to give them a break and, and hand it to them that they've been incredibly successful. It's hard to get your head around. Um, you know, it's it's almost like, well, I don't know, you're, you're too young to remember this, but but when the, inter when the internet used to be just text and then... I remember WAP on phones and stuff. Yeah, was it? yeah <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, I guess it's like the smartphone. It's like, it's like the smartphone after WAP, right? The, it's the same thing when you go from text to graphics your mind is just absolutely blown. And, um, but what it takes to think about how that would look when it's never existed before, well, that's what the guys at, at SkyMavis have done with Axie, you know? And the innovation 
that's possible because it's open is remarkable. So if you think about it now, you know, a, a fundamental pillar of the blockchain game industry is this concept of guilds, where we can organize player groups to play different games and utilize the assets in those games, you know, in a constructive manner through guilds, an organized manner. Um, but the idea of guilds was created largely by um, by Gabby, who founded YGG. Mm. Um, yeah, we had him on the show and he did a, yeah. a great chat. Yeah, yeah. As, as an innovation on top of Axie, because he was an Axie super fan, mm. right? And he's like, what do I, you know, how do I leverage my collection of Axies to support my local community here who's been hit really hard with COVID? And how do I get them, you know, get them onboarded to playing this game because they may be able to make some money in the game just like me and my kids have been doing, you know, for fun. So he was able to innovate and literally create an industry on top of the Axie Infinity economy. And the cool part is that he didn't need to have their permission to do it. He's he's providing a service that adds value to what they do and it interoperates because it's based on permissionless assets. So that is, you know, case in point of why openness is so exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And like, yeah, you've explained so well there what is happening with this fundamental shift and it's, it is why it's so frustrating. And I totally understand why and when, and there's a learning curve when newcomers come in, which I had to, had to go through as well. And, and this podcast is to, is to educate and bring people in. But when you see people who are like, NFTs are a scam, you're like, okay, let's unravel that because all of this other stuff is is so much bigger and making amazing changes. So it's, um, yeah. Well, I think also part of it is that change is hard, you know, and you get used to doing things a certain way. And I think that it's just like people tell me that, oh, well, onboarding to blockchain is really hard. Users aren't going to want to do that. You have to open a wallet. It's so difficult. And it's because we've all forgotten how horrible the onboarding was to smartphones. Because if you recall back to before you had, you know, an iTunes account or a Google Play account, and you had to actually pull out your credit card and open one, I don't know if you remember, but it was hard and it didn't work and it kind of sucked for a long time. I remember when we first started making Android apps in 2012, I was living in Hong Kong at the time and, you know, I had a credit card from the biggest bank in the territory and just opening a Google Play account, you know, you'd try it 10 times and it wouldn't work and you'd have to call customer support and, and that's Google. And it was terrible. But once they have all your information and you have an account, then life is really easy, of course, because you're already set up. And we've all been set up for a decade or more. So we forgot that the onboarding was actually really shitty a long time ago. Um, and blockchain is just the same. Once you have your wallet, life is really simple. But, you know, setting up your wallet may take five clicks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a good point I've not thought of. Even all the way back to, you know, modems uh, and having to not be on the phone when you use the internet. I mean, we all forget <laughs> that pretty uh, yes, exactly. easily, but that was the reality, yeah. Uh, all right, let's dive into what uh, Animoca brands are specifically focused on at the minute. It's, there's always amazing announcements and cool partnerships and, and the history of Animoca is, is probably for another podcast but it's a really cool story as well particularly i wanted to ask about the warner music partnership with with the sandbox which animoca uh, own as well that just felt to me like a, a really big inflection point because you know now the sandbox is going to be home to some of the biggest artists in the world so uh yeah i'd just love to kind of ask you about that and i'm sure that's an exciting moment as well yeah sure sure well i think one of the things about creating these type of metaverse spaces where, you know, we're creating virtual spaces in three dimensions where people can spend time as, as avatars and such. One of the things that they're going to want to do when they spend time there socializing is they're going to want to share the experience of consuming entertainment. So it's like entertainment within the entertainment, so to speak. Um, and we've seen incredibly successful stories of, of this having been done already in other platforms like Fortnite, for example, most famously. So there have been concerts in Fortnite. And, uh, and I think 
think that that's one of the models that we would very much like to replicate in the sandbox because, you know, when you have so many people sharing experiences and time in a space like that, it only makes sense that live events should then be a part of that. Um, so one of the things that we really wanted to do was find a, a way to connect with uh, music artists in this case to be able to enable them to have a platform to do that. So, um, you know, so the deal with Warner is essentially, you know, the kicking off of that initiative so that then players in the sandbox can have access to live events and participate in things, not just things that are persistent all the time, you know, like games and other activities that are there whenever you go to the sandbox, but also things that are temporal as well. Mm, yeah, cool. Yeah, it's a really exciting moment. That's, uh, uh, yeah, it's going to be cool to see how that all kind of plays out as well. I'd love to hear a little bit more about gamey specifically as well, because uh, that, that seems like an interesting area in terms of, of mobile and casual gaming, which feels like that's going to be a, a huge part of this whole puzzle. So, uh, yeah, I wondered if you could just tell us a bit more about Sure. So, so Gamey is, is a studio that we have here in Europe, and they are focused, um, they, they've been making incredible, very sticky casual games for mobile and um, distributed through apps like Telegram and other platforms for years. And, you know, the idea that they were thinking about was how can we harness all of that player activity and interest in these small, sticky, casual games and bring them to the world of blockchain? Because we've traditionally thought about blockchain games as being, you know, when you think about ownership in a game, you initially always think about kind of hardcore games, MMOs and things where you've got tanks and armies or, you know, swords and horses and all these kind of in-game items that people spend money on. But in casual games, there's not so much stuff in a casual game. And very often, you know, you're doing things like a match three puzzle game, for example. What are you going to buy? You can change the color, but usually you're spending money to buy boosters or power-ups or extend your playtime. So their idea was, how can we interest people in, you know, blockchain, but at the same time, give them these great, compelling play experiences? So one of the ways to do that is to give them rewards uh, and to build in what we call a metagame, which is a collection mechanic. So we've created blockchain rewards for people who play the game, and you can use, so you earn those rewards as a result of play, right? There are leaderboards and com competitions because everybody loves to compete, and um, and you earn rewards as a result of where you participate on those leaderboards. But at the same time, those rewards, which are in gamey tokens, can be spent to collect NFTs, which are being created. And so there's a universe of Gbots that we're creating, which are um, you know, NFT collectibles, and then those collectibles will also be usable in other experiences. So again, the idea is because everything interoperates, we want to bring people on a journey through their shared ownership and passion of different things. So you can generate gamey tokens by the play that you do in the game. You can then use those to collect Gbots, and then Gbots will be usable in other situations which we have not yet announced oh cool okay so it's the uh the building blocks of a much bigger thing which is uh sounds cool yeah well and it all has to work together because that's the fun part you know everybody always like it, it reminds me of when we were kids you know you'd bring your toys to your friend's house to play with their toys and they weren't the same toys but you would still play together because that's the fun part yeah 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 that's a that's a good point for sure i'm sure you won't be able to say anything on this but there was also the announcement about the board ape yacht club game which is uh coming is, is there any more more you can say there or anything we can get excited about or is it all 
tightly uh, under wraps? Um, well, definitely, definitely lots to get excited about. I, I can't say much. We're very, very pleased to be working with the team. And I think um, at Ugo Labs, and I think that from our perspective, it's an exciting, um, it's an exciting way for us to think about how to create experiences around an existing, already very passionate community. Because obviously the Board Ape Yacht Club members are really passionate fans. You know, everybody uses them as their profile picks. And we wanted to really try to create an experience that resonated with that community. Hopefully it will when you see it, um, but also, you know, adds value to the community because we want to engage them. We want to continue providing them with the kind of connection opportunities that, that they already feel as members. So whether that's, you know, going to physical events or other things, in our case, we're providing a game experience, hopefully, that will um, inspire them to, to, you know, enjoy being part of the club, let's say. Love it. Good. I'm excited for that for sure. Um, and what are you kind of uh, excited about for the next few months? And uh, are there any more developments or, uh, uh, yeah? Sure. Um, I think the big one is um, Phantom Galaxies, which we announced. Um, we've put out a couple of trailers and have started to bring people in on early access. Um, so that's being created by our, our Blowfish studio. And it's a space-themed, you know, it's mech robots in space, uh, which how can you go wrong? Wrong with mech robots <laughs> in space but you know i'm excited about it because it's really the first you know triple a blockchain game and people you know it, it will be out live in the market over the next couple of months and so far the early response has been really positive i mean the team there is fabulous they've been working on the title for a couple of years i mean it's it's a solid triple a title but i think the ability for people to now own the items within the game and to be able to trade them and have those additional benefits of ownership um, you know layered on top of fantastic more traditional style AAA gameplay um, I think will be really compelling I, ho I hope everybody likes it yeah I'm sure they will that's a pretty explosive combination which is uh, really exciting yeah awesome um, well thank you so much I really appreciate your time coming on, on the show and I encourage everyone to follow Animoca Brands because all the clues for the future are there as well and you have a great <laughs> blog and it's uh, yeah definitely going to spend some time uh, watching uh, what you guys do so where can we send people to follow yourself and also animoka in general yeah. uh sure i'm i'm on twitter like everybody else in, uh -huh. the, in the crypto community so at view from hk on twitter um otherwise you know for for work and things like that find me on linkedin always happy to explore new opportunities with people awesome love it thank you so much for coming on robbie cheers fantastic thanks luke so there we go an epic chat with robbie from animoka brands uh, really really enjoyed that and animoka always have their finger on the pulse of this space they've been in it for a long time and have consistently made awesome decisions on uh, what they work on and, and the content and games they're putting out uh, so i would highly recommend you follow them and everything they're up to robbie also thank you very much as well to republic realm equally doing awesome stuff uh recently their fantasy island collection and their drop with the fabricant there also their gfts with atari uh doing loads of cool stuff so republicrealm.com and uh follow at join republic underscore re on twitter and i always love to hear from you on my twitter as well at meta Metaverse Luke, do come and say hello. Uh, thank you so much for your support on the show. Uh, if you want to follow what NFTs uh, I am uh, checking out at the minute, uh, metaverseluke.substack.com. Uh, I've got another issue to go out imminently, so uh, make sure you're subscribed on there. Thank you so much, and uh, have a great week. Catch you for the next episode.